Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Uh, welcome to another day of Brother from Another. Good to see you, Jim Trotter. Good to see What's Howard represented, on, well represented. Uh, once again, Howard, Howard's got to be so proud of you. You do Howard justice every time uh, you come on the show, or most times you come on the show. Uh, you, giving uh, Howard University a nice little shout out. Always trying to. You got to represent your university, man. I got to bring out my Point Park Point Park College <laughs> slash Point Park University sweatshirt. See why you're laughing? Oh, okay. Look, because no, look. no, no. The reason I'm laughing is because the minute you do it, expect a phone call or an email asking you for money. So maybe you're doing it oh, the right okay. way by not wearing it. Okay. Hey, listen. That, that's all right. Um, I I don't I don't mind them asking for money now because when I was in school, I was all I was that dude always asking for a little bit of an extension. Hey, I don't have it today. <laughs> I can give you a little something. I can give you a little something. I put a little something on it now, and uh, you know I'll get it before next semester. So they're good for it. I certainly asked for a lot of help uh, back in the day at Point Park. Let me ask you this before we bring in our company because we do have company. I just want to ask you know, I was thinking about it. Everybody who doesn't understand uh, Jim Trotter. He's Jim Trotter here uh, in his other life. He is Professor Trotter. That's what the students call him at San Diego State. So you mentioned the last time we talked. Yeah, yeah. You, you told me that you had uh, Larry Fitzgerald coming to class. How did that go? Just uh, give us a couple of couple of nuggets from that. Then we'll then we'll bring in our company. No, he was, you know, Larry's always great, man. And the thing I try and do, I started teaching last fall, one class, and then returned this fall. And prior to the start of class, what I'll typically do is ask uh, students, if there's one person in the industry that you would want to hear from, who would it be? And so, um, and that's people in the profession as well as it could be an athlete. But this semester, I didn't ask that question. I wanted to bring in people who, I thought could give some real insight and perspective to the dynamic between say a reporter player relationship or a reporter coach or reporter front office perspective. And so um, Larry came in on Tuesday and, and he was great with the students in terms of, you know, what is that dynamic like? How do athletes view reporters? How do you build a relationship with a professional athlete or a collegiate athlete with someone of that stature? Um, and then knowing that at times you're going to butt heads, um, how do you go about mending that relationship or navigating those waters, those sorts of things. So, so Larry was great, you know, no matter what he does, he's going to give you his best. And, and he was frank and insightful with the students. That's awesome. And, and you know, what? I got to tell you, that's a great idea, Jim, because that's something that you know, every, every uh, athlete is going to deal with. I think athletes could benefit from that type of conversation so can members of the media and right on cue. We have somebody who has worn both hats. They've won the media member hat. They've worn the athlete hat and got a Super Bowl trophy to boot. I, I don't see a, a college football trophy back there from Notre Dame, but that's okay. That's all right. Um, Just twisting the knife, twisting it. He had yeah. to, he had to. He does uh, it well. Ryan Harris. 
man, it's always good to see you. Ryan, say hello to Jim Trotter. Uh, just, just happy to see you on the show today and happy to talk some football with you. Michael, always great to, to be on with you. And Professor Trotter, I'm a surfer, so I'll look you up. We'll get you on the board next time I'm out there. And Michael, man, thank you for sharing your platform and allowing us to come on here. It's so diverse. It's so creative, man. You're really doing it, brother. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Let me let me ask you this. Uh, speaking of diverse and creative, that's what we thought. That's what we thought the Denver Broncos <laughs> offense was going to be uh, with with Russell Wilson. And it just hasn't Ryan and you, you cover this team. You see him up close and you saw him in training camp. It just really hasn't uh, come together. And I, I wondered, you know, why why you think that is? I mean, I could come up with a hundred guesses, but you know. So what's going on with the Broncos offense? Well, two things. One, you have a quarterback who knows how to win in the NFL, teaching young players who don't know how to win. Hey, you can't rely on me to scramble all the time to get our first downs to create plays. We can do that weeks eight through 17, but we're not going to major in that to start the season. So he's teaching these young guys how to be in the right spot, how to be prepared to win, and he's really developing wide receiver Cortland Sutton. The other thing that's happening is you have a experienced veteran, talented quarterback with a first-time head coach. And so what he's doing, Russell Wilson, is allowing Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach, to call the plays, run the offense like he wants it. And I'm telling you, about week seven or eight, things are going to change for the best. Now, when I was playing with Peyton Manning, you know, he did that in the end zone of the second game of the year when we were down 14 points in Kansas City. But he also had a veteran head coach in Gary Kubiak. Veteran head coaches and quarterback know that moment comes between when the coach wants to do something and the expert on the field saying this is what's best. They look forward to that. But when you have a first-time head coach, Nathaniel Hackett still thinks he's calling the right plays to create success. He doesn't know that it's Russell who determines when to call those plays <laughs> to reach the ultimate success. You know what, Ryan? It's fascinating that you say that because prior to the start of the season, I think Michael and I had this conversation where I said I was intrigued to see how Russell was going to mesh in an offense where Nathaniel Hackett runs a timing offense where – you plant that back foot and the ball is supposed to come out. Russell Wilson is a guy who, for all of what he did in Seattle, one of the criticisms was that he hung on to the ball too long, which compromised the offensive line and, and created issues sometimes downfield. Um, so to hear you talk about this relationship between the two of them, I'm fascinated to see how that is going to work as we progress in the season, because something's got to give there and, and, I never anticipated, and I'm not sure if you did, that this offense would be this bad this early with Russell Wilson behind center. Did you see that? Well, I was at practice, and I did see how little there was of a run game, how inconsistent they were in the passing game, and especially in the red zone. Outside of one practice, they really didn't find success. But the good thing is, talking to Nathaniel Hackett, he knows that he wants he wants Russell Wilson's input, so he's open to that. A lot of times you get a coach in there who doesn't want the input of a quarterback. I mean, like Josh McDaniels, when he was here in Denver, he was saying, I know the plays. We can beat anybody. Okay, coach, whatever you say. So there's going to be a point in time when Russell feels comfortable in the offense and Nathaniel Hackett's willing to let him take the reins of the control. How, how do you see this tonight? I, I know, I know that that you look at things through a Denver lens and that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. But you see two, I guess 
uh, struggling, underachieving teams tonight. The Broncos, we had high expectations for them. A lot of people did. The Colts, a lot of uh, expectations for them. They got one game, one win, and and when they lose, ooh, they they really ooh. look bad and overmatched and just disjointed. How do you see this one playing out tonight on Thursday Night Football? I think it's going to be a tight game, but the Broncos pull it out. Listen, there are ma- major issues with the Colts. Last week, Frank Reich saying, hey, we might have to throw it on every down. Only problem, guys, is Matt Ryan's been sacked the third most of any quarterback in the NFL at 15 times. You also lost Jonathan Taylor. Matt Ryan's the second leading rusher on the Colts. I hope Naheem Hines is doing a great job and going to have a great game. But listen to those words. That's insane. They have, they have injuries and inconsistency on the offensive line. They do have some tight ends, the Colts, who are fantastic. I mean, they got Jelani Woods and others who are just superior at that tight end position. Of course, they've got Pittman, but you got Denver Broncos at home. Thursday travel really matters, guys. In the NFL, playing in those games, I can tell you, when you have to get on that flight for a Thursday game, very different than staying at the team hotel and being in your own environment. So I got the Broncos here. The injuries, although they lost Javante Williams, they're running back as well. They're built to overcome those obstacles a lot better, especially at home, than the Colts on the road. You know, Ryan, when you talk about losing Williams, that's huge. And then also we've got Melvin Gordon with the fumbling issues. What impact do you think this running game and the issues that it is having is going to have on the Broncos, not just tonight, but going forward? Well, the good thing for Melvin Gordon is he has the greatest opportunity in the NFL to change the narrative about his career. If he comes out tonight, has 150 yards rushing, no fumbles, he's going to be able to be that guy that he believes he is. But this is a major issue. The Broncos had to go out and get Latavius Murray because of the lack of depth at the running back position. Melvin Gordon's fumbled four times each game, some of them detrimental, one at the Seahawks literally on the one-yard line. So this is huge. And Melvin Gordon's a different guy. He said before that he prefers to be the number one back without anybody ahead of him and that he plays better that way. He also said in public, guys, that he doesn't like the first five weeks of the season because guys hit too hard. He prefers the middle <laughs> and end of the season where guys are a little on, easier Melvin. on tackling him. So I'm not sure what kind of character that you have there in Melvin Gordon, but he gets to prove everybody right or wrong tonight. And if you have that opportunity this week. But uh, Ryan, hey, let know, me ask wait, you this real quick, though. Wait, let me ask yeah, you. Go ahead, you go know, ahead, Jim. You, go ahead. You know, defensive players when they hear a quote like that, what do you think the thought process is? Forget defensive players, Professor. I mean, how about anybody who has to go into <laughs> the right. NFL? This is why you're here, and this is how you win championships. I mean, I could tell you from playing against the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick is going to have his guys so physical. They try to disrupt your focus from running normal plays that you know how to run. That's the name of the game. And if you don't flinch, if you bring back that physicality, many people don't know what to do. But for a running back, a key player like that, a star to say that, I mean, I spent 10 years in the NFL, 20 years around this game. That is unheard of. And I have problems with that early on. But not as big as him saying, I I don't like to compete with somebody. That's the NFL, man. What job did you think you chose? You're not a substitute teacher. You have to perform, and competition makes us all great. See, and and that's what I wanted to get to. It's just like, stop giving people excuses to take your job away from you. You know, it's hard out here. Talk to people. It's hard to find a job, and you're going to go around saying, well, you know, 
Uh, you know, I just try to that first month, month and month and change of the season. I'm just not really ready for that because it's just too, <laughs> it's too difficult. What's wrong with you? What's going through your mind? And on the flip side, now I want to ask you both about this because, uh, and especially you, Ryan, having played the game on offense, on offense, this is this is um, especially important. I must be missing something. When a couple of weeks into his head coaching head coaching career, Nathaniel Hackett, after struggling with time management, executive functioning for head coaches, okay, <laughs> he struggles with it. They bring in somebody to just pay attention to the clock. Now, for fans, we look at it and say, "Well, how hard could it be? You know, you only got X amount of time. You got this whole sheet; it's color coded." You have meetings all week. You know what you want to call. It's it, there's a third and long. There's third and short. There your shot plays. It's all mapped out for you. Why the hell are you struggling with the play clock? Please give us some insight because it's really difficult to understand from the outside looking in. Well, number one, it's always problematic when you have a head coach calling plays. And really, if you look at the NFL, there's about three head coaches who can do that consistently. Doug Peterson, who, oh, by the way, played and has been a coach for a very long time. You know, Sean McVay, which I don't know if anybody else would understand his play calling, right? But you have to be quick with it. And one of the things that coaches forget is you don't have time to think. You have to have your next play, right hash, left hash, ready to go at the snap of the first down. Like if you're running a second down play, hey, right hash, we're going to Michael. Left hash, we're going to Professor Trotter. That first down gets snapped. You already know what you're running on second down. So that process speeds up tremendously, and it catches many coaches off guard. Now, I would anticipate at some point him handing off the play-calling responsibilities, as many head coaches do, so that they can focus on the greater piece of the game. I mean, when you're in the third quarter, don't lose the, the game because you had a zero blitz on, on third and one, right? These are the little things that coaches really need to be in control of and when you go from a coordinator who your your end goal is a result to a head coach where you're taking care of an entire team, the duties are drastically different and you can be caught off guard quickly in an NFL game with the speed and tempo at which operations happen. You know, Ryan, I, I want to say that, uh, and I'm going to surprise Michael a little here, I think. I want to applaud Nathaniel Hackett for at least acknowledging some shortcomings. The fact that he went out and brought someone else in as a first-year head coach, I'm not sure that there are a lot of head coaches who would have done it that quickly because his game management skills really hurt this club um, the first couple of weeks, I thought. And and being at the opener in Seattle, I thought some of his decision-making was really suspect. So to me, for him to acknowledge, be able to look in the mirror and say, um, I was deficient or we need help there, let's go out and get it, I at least give him credit for that. That doesn't mean that he's going to turn out to be a great head coach. But at least he he has the humility to say, I don't have all the answers in certain situations. Let me go out and get help to help this team win. A hundred percent. And what it Ryan, shows more than exactly. I was going to ask you, what is that? What message does that send to the players? Accountability, and that's the number one thing you have to do as a head coach in an NFL locker room. You have to be willing to say, Hey guys, this was on me. This was my fault. I didn't put you in the right play. And what I love, two things, when I spoke to Nathaniel Hackett calling the Broncos games uh, in the preseason, one, he understands the urgency. He said frequently, hey, if we don't win, we're fired. 
But I also asked him, I said, Coach, how do you plan on being accountable to your team? And he said, just tell them. I did it yesterday. I said, guys, I didn't give you a chance to, to really win on this play. And when you bring someone else in like that, what you're showing your team is how to accept that you've made a mistake, be accountable for that, and also take action. So now when he gives a coaching point in the meeting room, that has a tremendous value to guys because they know he's doing that in his life as a head coach. And that builds tremendous trust and eventually production when you have the trust of that team. All right. So uh, before we let you go, I may or may not have my wallet out, um, you know, credit cards, cash. <laughs> so you got, we got Broncos tonight. I'm just asking for a friend over here. Broncos tonight over the Colts close game. We by six by four. I just want I think it could be like 17 14 Broncos. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I think it's going to be a it's going to be a knockout drag out. Uh, one key aspect is going to be a linebacker named Baron Browning from a university called Ohio State. He's made a transition from middle <laughs> linebacker to defensive end, and he is, was disruptive in the preseason at that defensive end position. If you're watching the game or you're listening on Westwood One to hear me talking about it, you hear Baron Browning, it's going to be a long night for the Colts because he can get after the quarterback. They must teach a little football there at Ohio State, Mel- Michael. Hey, hey, I tell you, uh, Ryan, I- I'll say this. You bring up a great point because most <laughs> people you meet from the Midwest, just aren't yeah. that outwardly arrogant. It's a quiet, maybe it's a quiet confidence slash arrogance, <laughs> but to call yourself the Ohio State <laughs> University. I remember when they started, I'm like, what are you trying to do here? What are you I'm like? It's just coming off the wrong way. I can't bring myself to say it. So I got to say a Ohio State University. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I like that. Well, you're more than just a guest. You're more than just a guest, uh, Ryan Harris. You always have a home here. Stop by anytime. Love talking football with you. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you both. Go Irish. Yeah, I'm going to hold you to that (laughs) surfing lesson too, Ryan. Heck yeah. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Grit. First thing I want to talk to you about. First off, let me see your hands. Do you mind if we play this game a little, too? Little guys. I know. They're not that little, but I have big hands, too. Yeah. What were you at the combine? Nine inches. Nine inches? It's a big deal. Right. I know it's a big deal. You were like, <laughs> why is it a big deal? Yeah. But it's not as a big deal anymore, at least to me, like because you, you and like other guys in your generation, the way you grip the ball. So can I like, kind of see that in person? Yeah. You pay attention to that, like you yeah, know, I'm always on second lace and, and under then, five. Yeah, you're out two and under five. Yeah, always grip the ball that way. Always. You did. So it didn't change from college, high school. No, I thought about changing it when I got to the league. Yeah. And I tried to. I just couldn't quite spin it the way I wanted to. Right. So I just went back to it. Right. Um, but I got figured out a, a way when it gets cold and dry to to hold it well. Uh, listen, I, I feel like I feel like quoting um, Anchorman when you know, hey, I miss you, I, I missed your smell. We should get an apartment together, uh, Chris Sims. My, what happened to my brother? My brother, 
I thought it was personal. I didn't know if I did something to offend you. Uh, I wanted to talk about it behind the scenes, but we can talk about it on the air, man. It's like everything cool. We still cool. Everything all right? Of course we're cool. I mean, come on. I'm here with you in trots. Like, if there's something personal, wait, there's another Michael that's not here, so maybe it's his fault. I don't know. No, I'm just... I didn't think about that. No, in all seriousness, no, I I miss being on... Right, I can't always do it. I can only talk so much during a week at a time, too. So, like, sometimes I'm just exhausted. I can't do weekly appearances, but I still love you, and I will do my best to be on here more often, all right? All right, man, I, I feel that. I feel you know, that. Holly, I, I'm reaffirmed now. It's the burden of being extremely talented at what you do, right? Oh, well, I, I don't know about that. You, you, I, can, you can't, you can't I, talk I, that much. Well, I, I mean, I mean, you guys know a little bit. You, you do. I, and this is my Friday, so you know. Again, I'm. I've already done a two-hour show. I've done a one-hour plus podcast. I've done a few other media things. Made a few videos to where, yeah, I'm talked the fuck out by the end of the week. Okay, <laughs> and that's where sometimes I'm like, whoa, NBC. <laughs> Pump the brakes, okay? I know that you're trying to get your money's worth out of me here and going to make it for like five cents an hour when it's all said and done, but there's only so much I can do. And you just keep being yourself, man. That's all we that's all we ask of you. Now, we came in with that clip of Joe Burrow, and and I and Chris, you tell me, because I saw a, a, we all talked about the Tua Tungavailoa play from the Cincinnati-Miami game, rightfully so. But also in that game, I saw Cincinnati, in my mind, get its act together, and they look very similar to the team I saw last year. Tell me, is Cincinnati back on track in, in your, if you had to call it, is this the moment where you say, okay, Cincinnati, they're good to go? I think they're close. I'm not ready to say they're good to go yet. They're close, though. It's definitely going in the right directions after the last few weeks as far as at least they're protecting Joe Burrow enough to where he can dice you up and have enough time to maybe dodge one guy and make a play. I mean, we saw that against the Jets a few weeks ago and, of course, saw it again on uh, last Thursday night when they played the Miami Dolphins. But I'm not, they're not out of the woods yet, in my opinion. No, the defense is playing really good football. I don't really doubt, you know, the skill guys. They're, they're the real deal. My big question with the Bengals right now is a little bit of just the play calling, the play design. You know, we know the O-line's got its issues. It's not going to be dominant, but I do think it'll get better. But, you know, go back and watch the Dolphins game last Thursday night. It's the same formation over and over. Uh, They never switch it up. There's never pre-snap movement. There's never any shifts or motions. I mean, you know, this play right here, okay, it's one-on-one with Xavier Howard. That's great. Okay, all good. They were doubling Jamar Chase. But as the game went on, Miami was like, we're just going to play man-to-man because all you guys do is run go routes and slant routes and a curl route. They need to do more. Even here, this is one-on-one coverage. They're doing a disservice with their simplicity right now. It's too player-reliant. That would be my complaint, Michael Holly. They don't do enough to help Burrow and Jamar chase out. And, you know, again, I challenge you to go watch the game and you'll kind of see what I say once I, I point it out there to you. Chris, I want to go the opposite direction of the team they're going to play this weekend. 
What is going on with the Baltimore Ravens and their inability to close out games and to either score points or, or hold teams without points in the fourth quarter? Yeah, it, it, it's a big thing right now. I think the first thing that, you know, you go to, and we're so used to the Ravens being a defensive, tough football team, right? And a running football team. One, they can't run the ball from the traditional standpoint. If it's not Lamar making a play and doing something like that, that's their run game right now. They don't really have a run game with the running backs. Last week was a little bit better. We saw a little J.K. Dobbins and some some traditional runs from the running backs to go, ooh, okay, maybe we're close. But as you know, Trot's like, you got to run the ball at the end of football games to chew out the clock a little bit. So that's been one issue. But the biggest issue is one that you know already. Their defense is sucky-ducky. It is sucky-ducky to the most. <laughs> like, they can't... They can't rush the passer with four. They can't even get close to four. So then they have to blitz and do creative things, and they're not the same in the secondary. I don't think Marcus Peters is 100%. They got two new safeties, right? Marlon Humphrey's still really, really good, but that to me is the issue. They're a little compromised there, and their defense, they just can't depend on it to really consistently stop anybody. And I don't know if it's going to change. With the Bengals, at least, I'll give them a fighting chance this week because there's no run game to worry about. And we just talked about the offensive line issues to where maybe the front four can get there a little more than we've seen in weeks past. But right now, it's the Lamar Jackson show. And, you know, there's only so much and so much he can do to carry them week in and week out. And that's a good Buffalo team they played last week that, you know, knew how to slow down some of the stuff they do on the offensive side of the ball. And then... You know, the defense, of course, starts to crumble, just like we saw in the Miami Dolphin game a few weeks before that. Now, let me step back for a second. And, and uh, our listeners know, who are very familiar with you, know that uh, you don't hold back. You say what you mean and mean what you say. So you talk with Joe Burrow uh, and, and that clip that we showed. And Burrow made some news, and, and uh, it was on Pro Football Talk, bit head, headline on Pro Football Talk, that, you know, we are talking about football players, we chose a dangerous sport. So this is what we signed up for. And he admitted to Colin Cowherd that there are times he hasn't remembered things, that he's had memory loss in game. So now I know a lot of people are looking at that. This is a sensitive topic right now because of what we mentioned off the top with Tonga Vailoa. People don't want to hear that. But I think he's being he's being controversial and realistic. Uh, Chris, I mean, you played the game at a high level. Can you? I mean, can you give us a sense of what players might yeah. be saying when there are no cameras around, there are no media people around, and they're just having a real talk, real talk about concussions and head trauma? Do the conversations kind of sound like what Joe Burrow shared with Colin Cowherd? A hundred percent. That's why I don't blame Mike McDaniel or anybody, anybody like that from the Tua situation. The blame is on the doctors. You know, the coaches are not doctors. Football world is a little different than the rest of the world. That's why I love Joe Burrow. That's why he's my mofo right there because he do, he always keeps it real. You know, he's, he's not okay. I made a headline. Oh no, I told the truth and people are offended. First off, I mean he's right. You know, second off to your point, yeah. 
I mean, again, if I was in the NFL right now and I got my head dinged and I was seeing three for a few seconds, I'd go, oh man, my shoulder hurts. I'd lie out of my ass to, to go stay in the game. I'm sure I wouldn't be shocked if that's what Tua did too in his situation. I don't know that, I've, you know, but I'm just, I'm saying it's part of the culture. Football players want to play football. You guys know a lot of them. A lot of them are naturally psycho anyways and like physical contact. Then you add in it's a performance-based business with no guaranteed contracts. And, you know, the, the intensity's high when it comes game day from that standpoint. And, and then I think, like, what he, the point he makes is we all do know what we signed up for. You know, I, I at no point in my life thought, man, Ray Lewis hitting me full speed is probably good for my, my health. I, that, let me play football because I'll live 10 years longer if Ray hits me and cleans my clock a few times. You know, so that's where I, I grew up watching my dad get just smashed by, you know, Dexter Manley and Reggie White on a weekly basis. I didn't sit there and go, you know, dad's shoulders and legs and hips are probably going to feel really good when he's 65. Like, no crap, Sherlock. So, yeah, I think, you know, again, that was a, a hard thing to see. And I know it wasn't, you know, great for TV, but it is. It's a brutal sport. And I blame the doctors more than anything. That would be my big issue. It's their job to stop that from happening. And they didn't stop that after the Bills game. And they should have stepped in somewhere in the four-week process going into the Cincinnati Bengal game. But no, Joe Burrow's just speaking facts. And I think most guys in football would lie or BS if they got their bell run. And most guys in football have had what has happened to Joe Burrow where, yeah, you get done with the game and you're like, man, wait. It's a little fuzzy right there. What the heck happened during that period of time? And, you know, you, you sometimes need to watch the film next day to kind of go, oh, wait, that's what happened. There's some of the details and all that. So I think he's just giving everybody an honest look inside the, the helmet of a, a football player. You know, Chris, you're absolutely right. I mean, I can't tell you how many retired players I've talked to where I've said, knowing what you know now about the potential effects of brain trauma, would you still play? And almost yeah. to a man, every one of them say, yes, I would, including Rodney Harrison, who spoke so passionately about it the other night um, prior to the game right. where he talked about brain trauma and whatnot. Rodney was one of those guys. I remember asking one time, knowing what you know now, would you do it again? And he said yes. And part of that is these guys, some of whom come from meager backgrounds, say it is an opportunity to set up my family, not for wealth for my family, but generational wealth. And so would they do it again? Right. Absolutely. And so I prod, applaud Joe Burrow for being honest about it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, most times, I mean, I know not everybody in the locker room is like this, but most guys in a locker room really love football. You know, for some reason, yes. people don't think that once they get to the NFL because they're getting paid mm. and they go, oh, well, I like to watch college because these are the guys that, you know, really love the game. And I want to go, all your favorite players on the college team are the good ones that are going to be in the NFL that you're going to talk crap about in a few years and say they don't love the game anymore. So that never makes sense. Yeah, there's a love of the game, and I think it's, it's physical. It's a big man sport, and that's where you do, you, know, you do get into, hey, you know, smaller quarterback can get away with playing more in this era of football than maybe in the 80s when it was, you know, my dad and Aikman and, and Joe Montana and John Elway and company, right? But you're a smaller quarterback. You got to go out of your way to protect your body even more so. You know, again, like 
There's no way Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes get whipped to the ground the same way that Tua did in that. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I'm just trying to point out that the defensive lineman was on the ground and threw him like that. Tua's a small guy. I mean, he's about as small as they get at quarterback. There's not a lot of thickness or muscle. And that's where, you know, he's got to be more diligent about watching himself, too, if he wants to persevere and, and have a long career. You know, I'll tell you who is not a, a small quarterback is the guy we've talked about a lot. And I'm talking about on the field now. You know, there's some off the field issues that I don't know if you guys want to go there or not. But on the field, Tom Brady now uh, didn't practice yesterday. Shoulder injury, finger. There's some things happening with Brady. I wonder, uh, Chris, if you see. It's, and we're always looking because he's 45. So anything that happens, you know, like once you and anyway, for whether you're a football player or not, once you cross 40, trust me, once you cross 40, a little ache, you're like, oh, what is this? What's going on? Ooh, ooh. Wait till you and, get to 50. And you, and you call, hey, you call up, you call up your, your personal, your, your personal physician. You're like, hey, doc, this is what happened. Your doctor says, oh, you're just getting old. Ain't nothing wrong with you. As you were, go back. <laughs> I wonder if we start, if, if we're starting to look at Brady, and do you see this as a problem, uh, a product of old age, a broken offensive line? If you look at Tom Brady, what would you say like the top two issues on the field are with him? Well, I mean, he is getting up there. Does he look a little more frail than maybe he has in years past? Yeah, I'll say that. You know, and, and it's been widely reported. I know for a fact. I mean, he lost weight with some of the off-the-field family stresses I think he was going through in August as well with his marriage or whatever else is going on there, you know. But that is a very real thing that there was, I think, the stress of that that made him lose weight. But, like, man, Michael Holly, damn, when I watch him still, I still go, man, that sucker can throw the football. He still Mm -hmm. makes really good decisions, you know. They're just not executing and quite playing to their full capabilities yet. And I think they're trying to play a little bit of a different way, maybe for some of the reasons you're talking about, Michael. Because, you know, last year, I know there was big numbers and 5,000 yards and all that. But I I never thought it was as conducive to them being the best they could possibly be as I did the year before when they won the Super Bowl where there was a lot of two tight end sets and we ran the ball up the middle with Fournette. And we made you come down and stop that. And now, hey, let's keep a tight end and protect me. And I'll play action pass. And I'll strike downfield to Gronkowski or Mike Evans or whoever else. To me, that's the best way for Brady at his age. And I honestly think it's probably the best way for the Bucks. You know, when they get into too much of pass, we got to pass. And we play a really good defense, whether that's the Rams three times now or all the regular season matchups we've seen with the Saints for the most part, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to take over the game anymore because, oh, wait, I'm getting pressure and their creative coverages. He's not going to Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson you and then get out of the pocket and make things happen. So to me, the best formula for them to be successful, and the game got out of hand last weekend to where they couldn't play that way because the way Chiefs jumped out them, is to kind of get back to that end-of-the-year Super Bowl formula they had, which was power, run game, play action, protect me, make me feel good, and I'll throw lasers down the field. And if they do that, I think they'll be right in the thick of things. But if they have to rely on him to throw 45 times a game with the new offensive lineman and all that, 
it won't be good or it won't get them to where they need to go all, when it's all said and done. Yeah, Michael, Chris is right. I saw him. I was at the New Orleans game, and he's down his top three receivers in the fourth quarter. He's down his top two left tackles in that game. We know Ryan Jensen is not there now. Um, and then you looked at their primary third down back, Gio Bernard, who was out injured at that time. He can't do it by himself. But what I did see is that when the moment called for him to make a play or to make a throw, right. that throw he threw to Perriman, that the ball he threw to Perriman, right. my God, you could yeah. not have walked it down there and placed it any better. So, yeah, he's got to get help from those around him. But Tom Brady can still sling it for anyone who thinks he can't. No doubt. This is from the guy, Chris, uh, from, from the guy who said um, – one of us said that the Bucks would struggle to make the playoffs this year, and it wasn't me. And I don't know if you said it, but I didn't hear you say it. So that leaves the man in the middle. Jim Trotter said they me. would struggle to make the playoffs. Now he's talking about, oh, hey, Tom Brady. I don't know. Well, hey, no, he, right now he's looking better than us. They're two and two, and they're not looking real smooth, really. So I don't know. Maybe he knows something we don't know, but. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to bet on the, the end game here that they get this right. The defense will get right, and they'll get to get healthy like Trotz is talking about and protect him a little bit better to where, you know, I think ultimately they're going to prove Trotz wrong and they'll be in the playoffs. But we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's up in the air right now. Look, one hey, thing history it, has taught me is that when someone talks about retirement, they're already retired. And Tom not only yeah, talked I hear about you. it, he walked away from it and then came back. And so if everything is not right as it is not now and the personal stuff he's dealing with, which is none of my business and I don't get into, I just think there are a lot right. of factors in play that are going to impact this team as we go forward. I, I, I hear you there. I do worry about some of that stuff. My only challenge I'll throw, the challenge flag I'll throw to you there is goes, I mean... I don't, come on. He wasn't really ever going to retire. They were, the Dolphins deal was in place. That just got blew up. I mean, I, I'm yeah. not so sure that doesn't have the big reason of part of the, some of the personal issues he's having right now. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if he ever was thinking retirement. That was my only thing. I feel like he was just finagling his next move to go with the Dolphins and Sean Payton down there. Uh, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll leave you with this, uh, you know, last thing, because you are talk the F out. I love that. Um, <laughs> last thing I'll, I'll leave I you with. I didn't know we could do that on this show. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. have, you seen, have you met Michael Smith? Have you met Michael Smith? Who was just like, uh, uh, like Richard Pryor at the Sunset Strip classic. I mean, just going on and on. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. It's wrong. Peacock, Trots. We don't have to worry about anything yeah. more. We're on the Peacock. We say whatever the hell we yeah. want now. It's the stream. Well, let let me say this day. to Michael Hollywood. I've got a T-shirt next week I will wear for you, which is a Richard Pryor T-shirt. And now that I know we can get away with it, it will reflect my attitude towards many things in life. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, that is a tease. That is a great tease. So last thing I'll leave you with, uh, Chris Sims, and then we'll let you go. Is I said to uh, Trotter, I think it was on Tuesday, right after the Monday night game, said, you know, San Francisco keeps talking about this Super Bowl roster, and at some point they're going to have to get out of the, oh, they're really good, they're better than their record suggests. They're going to have to start winning some games, and I don't know what you can do with Jimmy Garoppolo. If he's the guy holding them back, he's going to have to figure it out because – I wonder if 
they will look back on this period and say, man, we had a Super Bowl roster and we squandered it because we couldn't close games that were winnable or a quarterback was doing some stupid stuff. This uh, last thing I guess is how would you assess San Francisco going forward? Just looking big picture at the 49ers. Right. Well, I, I listen, I, I think that that what you're talking about is a real thought already out there. Like how many Super Bowls would he have won if we just had a quarterback that we felt that was competent? You know, how many Super Bowls would he have won if we didn't make the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo when we were 0-10 and just waited for Kirk Cousins and free agency? Or if we drafted Patrick Mahomes? Or if we signed Tom Brady that year in free agency? You know, I think that's the reason they kind of went down this weird Trey Lance, we're going to trade three picks for to move up for a guy that probably would have been sitting there where before the trade and they could have picked him. So that speaks to the, I think, uh, right, exactly right. I mean, so, right. And then they were trying to look at Matthew Stafford. So they've been trying to address this problem. And Garoppolo, even though, hey, we go, yeah, he's, he's obviously a little better than Trey Lance is right now and Trey Lance Raw and all of that. But man, Garoppolo's, He's doing his damn best to remind us why they've been trying to replace him. I mean, look at these throws right here. You know, again, they should have beat the Broncos by 14 points. That game right there, I was sitting there next to my wife, and you know I'm friends with Kyle Shanahan. I was going, they're whooping the shit out of the Rams, and it's 17-9. to I mean, the Rams can't do shit except throw three-yard passes, and I'm going, it's 17-9 to because... Garoppolo leaves so many plays and yards on the field week after week that they lose their ability to really dominate teams. But my feel of the team, Michael, to get back to the the real main question is like, I think it's one of the best rosters in the league. I, 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 you know, I go through it and I know they got a few new young parts on the O-line, but I go, damn, the O-line's still top 10-ish in football. We know their running backs are damn good, especially with that scheme. The receivers, the tight end, holy crap. The defense is the best in football. So they don't need great play from their quarterback. They just need good play and not throw some of the dumbest freaking interceptions we've seen in the history of the planet, you know, on a consistent basis. And they'll get back to the Super Bowl. But, like, I just want to remind people, this is a guy that, you know, made dumb mistakes when they were up by 10 in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs and they could have put it away. You know, this is a guy that threw the dumbest interception of the playoffs to end the year for them last year in the NFC Championship game. I mean, he tried to screw it up in the divisional playoff game in Green Bay when he was floating backwards 30 yards and tried to throw the ball through 12-degree weather 50 yards down the field and threw an interception. So he does dumb shit. And when he stops doing that and just plays consistently, the 49ers are going to be in that Super Bowl conversation. (laughs) Can, yeah, can I hold true. up for a minute? Because I'm, I'm not sure. Funny. I want to make sure. Did, did, does Chris really mean what he says? I'm not sure what he's saying hey. here. I just want to make sure he's <laughs> almost saying like, what he's saying. It's almost like Sims was like, well, I haven't been on in seven, eight weeks. I'm going to make up for all the stuff. <laughs> I'm making up said. for it. So I'm going to get right. all of them in. Hey, but you just keep doing you. We love you, man. Uh, good to see you. Get some rest. It's the weekend. You know what happens on the you know weekend. So smoky, smoky, drinky, drinky time. <laughs> yeah, there it is. You're brother. the man. See you guys.
Hey, Always fun. Good to see you. Thanks, Chris. Chris Sims. Nobody <laughs> like him. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, check this out, everybody. Tune in this afternoon to Roto World Hoops Fest happening on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern. Prepare for the fantasy basketball season with rankings, analysis, and more. Ending with the Roto World's Round Ball Stew Mock Draft Show at 7 p.m. All right, Jim, back on the show here. Uh, we got to talk about it, and I think it's it's good that we continue to talk about issues. They were important to us two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Let's not uh, allow them just to fall off the radar, and we don't talk about them enough. I know Brittany Griner, that situation, Brittany herself, uh, has been on your mind and on your heart. You know, wh- what would you like to say? What do you think people should be thinking about when it comes to Brittany Griner still in Russia? I mean... I mean- First and foremost, just not to forget about her. And her wife went on uh, CBS Mornings and said, and I'll read this quote, she's very afraid about being left and forgotten in Russia, that, you know, she felt like her life just doesn't matter. And I think for all of us who care about her and the situation, that we keep it top of mind and not forget about it. Because with what's going on with the NFL season, the NBA season about to start, the baseball playoffs about to start. It's very easy to move on, as we've talked about with other issues, and and forget about these things. But Brittany Griner is one of us, and hopefully she will be home soon. Yeah, that's, that's well said, Jim. And I think it's like, and not to trivialize a very uh, complex issue, very serious I- issue. I mean, there's some depth there, some heft to the Brittany Griner uh, situation. But we all got to be better at multitasking. I mean, my goodness, like, are, are we so superficial? I hope the answer is no. Are we so superficial that we will look at something that is deep and something that is meaningful? And then there's a game that happens and we just turn away from what we were talking about and we pay attention to third and long or, hey, a showdown, a divisional showdown, Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday at one. So I hope uh, I hope you're right that we do, you know, just stay focused on what's going on. What must be a very scary, a scary time for Brittany Griner and everybody who knows her and, and cares about her. Uh, let, let's let's talk about a basketball issue, not nearly as serious, but it does make you wonder. Okay, what's going on? I always said about Draymond Green Trotter. I think Draymond Green is a teammate that you'd like to have nine days out of ten. Uh, 11 months out of 12, 11 and a half months out of 12. But when he goes left, oh, he goes. He goes real left. And and now uh, he's looking at probably some type of team discipline because he punched his teammate. He punched his teammate, Jordan Poole, during a practice. 
Uh, is, is this a brother you'd like to have on your team? Uh, you know, it, the, do the pluses outweigh the minuses for you? I, I think most Warriors fans would say yes, but those of us uh, who are not Warriors fans, just it's curious. What do you think about Draymond Green? You are talking to a Warriors fan. So, yes, I'm going to say yes. Um, I can deal with all of this and it is okay. I almost want to use the Allen Iverson, you know, soundbite. We talking about practice, you know? And so there have been many beefs between teammates in practice, some of which have gotten physical. It is not that big a deal. Draymond brings okay. a certain element to this organization and this team that um, – Quite frankly, it would not be as successful as it is without it. And remember this, in 2018, he was suspended for a game after getting to a dust-up with Kevin Durant in oh, the locker room. That is who that. He drove yeah, him out of town. That is who... Yeah. Oh, he stop. pushed him out of town. It was, it hey, was already known be more that Kevin was going Kevin to Durant. leave town. Stop. And did they win a championship without Kevin Durant again? Did they win another one without him? They... I'm they probably asking. have a dynasty. They would have matched the Bulls. They, they might are have a six, dynasty anyway. By now. They are a dynasty anyway. Oh, oh, Warriors fan, talking trash. Good to see you, Trotter. We'll talk to you All later, right, everybody. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.